0: Well, we've looked at the life of David, this great king, the greatest king in the Bible. He did mighty things. Do you remember what we looked at in day one? A guy who had a heart after God. And God chose David. Why? Because his heart followed him. Man looks at the appearance, but God looks at the heart. And some of us are so concerned on what we look like. We can look like we've got it together, but actually God cares about the heart. The first thing that God calls us to... It's to love him, love him with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, strength, but it's to love him, to love him, not just sacrifices, but to love him. David was a man who loved God. Day two, do you remember? Two animals, what were they? Lions Lions and bears. Because David learnt to take out lions and bears, he learnt how to take out Goliath. And God puts things in our lives early on, little battles that we have to face On our own, not like big sexy battles in front of lots of people. Just mundane things as young teenagers. Why? So God prepares us for later on in our life. And remember the two lions and bears we particularly looked at? What was the first one? Who was that? Hands up. Well done, mate. I feel like I want to give you something. Here, have this. It's an empty bottle. Um, What was the second one? Obedience. Obedience. If you learn to kill these bears early on in your life, if you learn to kill the bears of faithfulness, obedience, you watch the things that God can do in your life and how quickly he can use you. And yesterday, it was the big day, it was the battle. David faced Goliath and he won, not with a sword but with a sling and a stone like a bullet, landed in his forehead and Goliath fell to the ground. But we saw, didn't we, how that battle and that victory pointed towards a greater victory a greater David, and a greater battle was won, not against a nine-foot Goliath, but a Goliath of Satan, sin, and death. And we saw how Jesus stepped up to the plate, representing all of the people of God, none of whom can save themselves against sin. But we saw how Jesus, through dying on a cross, not through a sword, but through sacrifice, Jesus took down the biggest enemy of them all, Satan, sin, and death. And some people gave their lives to Jesus yesterday. Hallelujah. Isn't it wonderful? Well, David went on to do many great things. As I said, he was the greatest king in the Bible next to Jesus, won lots of great battles, had mighty men, was a great warrior and did all kinds of stuff. However, later on in David's life, he failed in a major way. David sinned and seriously fudged it. And unfortunately, the story gets sad later on in his life. He sins. And so what I want to do today is not end on a really sad note, but I want us to look at how David sinned, what he did and what led him there, and just actually how we can learn... What it is walking out of this place to carry on having a heart for God and be wise up and not make some of the mistakes that David made. Does that make sense? I'm going to tell you the story. Again, it is quite a famous story. You might have heard of it. It's a story of David and Bathsheba. This was many, many years later after David and Goliath. David had won lots of victories and battles. And it got to the time of springtime in the year when it was battle time and all the people were going out to fight and it was a time when kings would fight but David, he decided he would sit this one out. Maybe he just felt like I've done enough really, I've fought quite a lot of battles, I've had my time or, or maybe he just felt a bit tired or a bit lazy but whatever, he decided to stay at home. So the rest of the guys went out to battle, David stayed at home. Late that night he was lying in bed, he got up, it was a bit hot, he decided to go onto the roof of his house just to enjoy the cool breeze. And you never guess what he saw on one of the other roofs of the houses. All of the houses had flat roofs. People would often be on on the roofs of the houses. He saw a lady lying down, having a nice bath. And, you know, just like in our days, you don't bath with your clothes on, you bath naked. (laughs) David is like, gosh, look at that beautiful woman. And so he found out, he asked someone, can someone go and tell me who that lady is? And then someone came back and said, that's, that's Bathsheba, wife of the Hittite, Uriah. Okay. And then David asked, can you send her, bring her to me? And so this lady, Bathsheba, she got brought to David and they got it on. Just to tell you straight, they slept together and they had sex. David was like, I like what I see. And she was like, I'm up for it. Let's do it. And then she snuck back to her house, and David went back to his house. But she came a few weeks later and sent a message saying, I'm pregnant. One moment of just being like, I like what I see, I'll have that. She comes back saying, I'm pregnant. Now, in the days of David and the law, if you were to have a baby with somebody outside of your marriage, the law is that they should should die. David knew this. Bathsheba knew this. What's going to happen? The stakes are pretty high. Before long, there's going to be a bump. It's going to be pretty obvious. But David, he's a sharp guy. He thinks, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to cover my tracks. I'm going to get Bathsheba's husband back from the war, back from the army. And I'm going to see if I can get him to sleep with her. And then everyone to think that it's, it's his baby and they want to know that I did it. Seems like a good idea. So he called Uriah back. He's like, hey, Uriah, well done. You've been fighting so well. Hey, listen up, buddy. You deserve a break from all the hard fighting. Why don't you just go back, have a nice night with your missus. Just enjoy the night to yourself. So Uriah sort of went back. He's like, oh, that's really kind of you. The next day, word got back to David. And guess what Uriah did? Because he's such a faithful man, because of all of his friends were fighting, he didn't go into his house. He stayed on the doorstep. He's like, how can I, while my friends are on the front line fighting, how can I just have a night off like this? Now I'm going to stay outside. David's like, oh no, my plan hasn't worked. I wanted him to go and have sex with his wife, so if I'm to think it was him. So he's like, okay, I know, try again. Day two. This time he got him drunk. Hey, come and have a few drinks. Come and have a drink. Get drunk. Again, he tried to send him back to his wife, Bathsheba, so that they can have sex, so that everyone will think that it's his baby. And guess what? Uriah didn't do it. Again, he didn't go and sleep with his wife. David was like, oh no, my plan is not working. I'm running out of time. Soon there's going to be a bump. Soon people are going to know. What does David do? He sends Uriah back to the front line of the battle and he decides to do this he sends a message to the guy Joab in the battle says what I want you to do is put Uriah right in the thick of the fiercest part of the battle where the fighting's most intense and I want you to pull back so that he gets killed and if he gets killed then I can quickly marry Bathsheba and everybody will be fine just think it's my baby and so, this poor guy, Uriah, sort of has a few nights back home with his missus, goes back to war, suddenly gets posted in the most intense, busiest part of the battle. Okay, he's got courage in his heart, he's going to go for it, he's going to go for it. The enemy's coming towards him, and out of nowhere, everybody falls back. He's like, guys, guys, what's going on? Well, I'm on my own. And before long, he's dead. He dies. Because David said, put him on the front line, see if we can kill him. And word got back to David said Uriah's dead so David quickly went to Bathsheba's like come on let's get married and then everybody think okay it's fine you just did it when you got married and that's what they did they got married and Bathsheba conceived a son at the end of this story you can read about it in the bible the whole chapter describes what I've just described to you and it ends with this one verse that I would like to read out together let's read this together 2 Samuel 11:27. 27. I'll read the bits in white. This is David talking about Bathsheba. David brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. In that action, that one action of David seeing a woman that he wanted and having sex with her, he then went on to just break so many commandments He managed to lie to his friends, he managed to get her pregnant, he managed to commit murder and he lied to everyone around him. He basically broke the commandments 6, 7, 9 and 10. This is a tragic, tragic moment in the life of our hero David and it greatly displeased the Lord. Friends, I want to say this at the start, sin is like a bomb, when you sin... Just like a bomb explodes, it creates a mess and it affects people. In this case, David's one initial sin ended up making a huge explosion that affected loads of people. Ultimately, the life of one of his friends, other people's distrust in him, he lied and created a complete mess. When we sin in our lives, and when you sin in your life, and you do something that you know you shouldn't do... One of the things that you think, oh, it won't matter, it doesn't matter, I'll get away with it, that's a lie. When you sin, it creates a mess, and it affects the people around you, it affects your family, and it affects yourself. And we're going to go on and see how this can affect us now. So one of the questions I want to ask us is this, why, David, why did it go so wrong? You're such a good man. You had a heart after God. You're faithful. You're obedient. You took down Goliath. How did it go wrong? Why did you sin? And for us, we might be in a here in 12 14, so I want to live for God. I want to have a heart after him. I want to worship him. How can I keep myself from sinning? Well, here's what I'd say. At some point in David's life, his heart after God slightly drifted. And where he loved God and did everything for God, there became a point where actually he maybe just didn't care so much about God. So point number one about how to avoid sin is this. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. What do we mean by that? Hey, we all love God, don't we? Most of us in this room say, I love God. I want to live for him. That's great right now. While we're at a new day and we're surrounded by other people who are worshipping and singing about God's goodness. But you know what? We live in a world with so many distractions. So many other things that our heart can love and enjoy. So many other things that right now, you know, know, I love God. But when you get home, all of a sudden these things can suddenly become really important. Even more important than God. Maybe for you, it's like, I just want to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. All my friends do, and I'm not cool unless I do. And that can suddenly become more important than God does. And maybe you you get yourself into a relationship, and you get yourself into, like, I want to be friends. And maybe, maybe even they're starting to push your boundaries a bit physically. Maybe they want to push you to do things you don't even want to do. Think, man, I'm, I'm in this place, I don't really know if I should be doing this, but you give into it. What's going on? This thing is so important to you. You're making sacrifices. Your heart is more concerned about that than God. Things can creep into our hearts. And you know what? We have an enemy whose primary job description is to try and distract you from loving God. You remember the first commandment is what? It's to love God. And surely the first thing the enemy is going to try and do is distract you from God he will do anything from stopping you loving God whatever it takes whatever it takes whatever he can bait the hook with to stop you distract you maybe it's tempting you maybe right now you love God but maybe just a little bit of temptation hey you don't need to pay for that just steal it yeah okay yeah I might do hey that was really angry what that person did you should get angry at them you should you should you should punch them Tempting you into things, and when you're doing them at the end of it, you feel bad, you feel terrible. And what do you do when you feel bad and terrible? Oh, God's not impressed with me, I can't come to God, I've really blown it. What's happened? Your relationship with God has sort of stopped because of something the enemy's tempted you. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's looking at stuff on the internet you know you shouldn't. You feel tempted to, you do, and then what's happened at the end of it? You feel so bad. And your love for God is sort of, I do love him, but now I feel dirty. I can't spend time with God. I can't be with him. If it's not tempting you, maybe it's just distracting you. Maybe out of here you think, I love God so much, I'm going to go back home, I'm going to spend time with him, I'm going to do what Simon says, because Simon said that when we should spend time with God, that's how you build a relationship, just like you do in marriage, we get to know someone, it comes through time, I'm going to do that with God. I might even get up a bit earlier and see if I can just read the Bible, maybe just pray with God a little bit, and you, you take some time to do that, that's great, but one of the things the enemy loves to do is to distract you from taking time out with God, and he can distract you with all kinds of things. You wake up in the morning and you just think... Oh, I might just play some Minecraft instead of spending time with God. Or I might just look at Facebook. I might just see what's on YouTube rather than spending time with God. The enemy's primary role is to distract you. Anything to stop you loving God. If it's not distracting you, it's just lying to you. Basic lies. You just feel like, I'm not doing that well. Why is that? Because he's lying to you. You're no good. God doesn't love you. Don't bother spending time with him. He doesn't want to know you. He can lie to you. And what's happening there? In your heart, you suddenly, you love God, but actually you get distracted by other things and you don't love him anymore. Why am I saying guard your heart is important? Listen up. When God is not the first thing in your heart and something else is, sin is not far behind. And in the life of David, this great leader who actually completely fudged it, because so at some point God became second in his heart and the beauty of Bathsheba seemed more important and then sin quickly followed. That says in Proverbs 4, guard your heart. How do you guard your heart then? I would say this. This is an answer to those few things, temptation, distraction, lies. This is why it's so important to know your Bible. We talk here at New Day about reading the Bible. It's not just because you're supposed to read the Bible. Oh man, Stephen Dawson, I should read the Bible. I better do that. I don't really understand it. It's not about reading the Bible. It's about getting to know God. It's about listening to his voice. And when you do that, you understand what God is like and what he says of you. Let me ask you a question. What's the opposite to a lie? It's the? Let me try again. What's the opposite to a lie? It's the? How do you know if Satan's lying to you or not if you don't know what the truth is, right? If you don't know the truth, then you can't actually tell if something's a lie. But when you know that God loves you, when you know that your sins are forgiven, why? Because you've read it in the Bible. When a lie comes, you can go, no, that's a lie. I'm not going to listen to that. And part of guarding your heart is almost like having an armor of truth around you so when lies come in, you're like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. A lie comes in, oh, you're a pathetic Christian. God can't. no, I'm not. God loves me. I know he does. A lie comes in saying, oh, you should sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I have no concept. No, I know. Sin is like a bomb and it will affect people and it will stop my love for God. When you know the truth, it will help you. It will guard your heart and help you to love him. So listen, I'd say this, my friends. Why don't you make a decision today? That over the next year, for when I see you next year at New Day, that you will get to grips with reading the Bible and knowing truth. Is that a deal? It will help you love God and stay clear of sin. If God is not first in your heart, sin is not far behind, let me say, keep ruthlessly protecting that precious love That love that David had as a shepherd boy in the fields. That special seed of his life. Keep protecting that. Keep protecting the time that you have with him. Guard your heart. I try and do this as much as I can. Whenever I know in my heart, actually I don't really love God right now. Whatever you're doing, stop and turn your heart to him. And just see what the lies are. Clear out the mess. God, I love you. I want to love you all the more. David didn't do this in that moment. He chose something else other than God. Let me encourage you, choose God, choose Jesus. Secondly, after guarding your heart, after protecting that special place of loving God above everything else, quick thing, a little tip for you just for avoiding sin. Number two is this, run from temptation. Run from temptation. Who's a fast runner here? Okay, that's good. Anyone up for the 100 meters? 100 metres was my particular favourite, I actually run it in nine, 9.5 seconds, um, I gave it up to write songs. Um, good decision I think. The of lying. <laughs> yes, you're right, uh, someone just said that's the opposite of lying, he knows the truth, no, no man like me can run 100 metres in 9 seconds, anyway that's besides the point, run from temptation. You know what it is to be tempted, don't you? You feel in your heart, oh, that looks like a good idea. Oh, shall I? Shun't I? Oh, I might do that. Oh, no one's in the house. So I might look at some pornography. You know what it is to be tempted. Do you know what the best thing to do? is not flirt with the idea of it in your head. Not think, oh, I might do. No, it's to run the other way. We are human beings and we are weak. And the idea of temptation, the hook can be so strong. When you hang around for a bit before you know oh, i hooked. I'm going down this road whether I like it or not. I am sinning right now. I'm going to sin. But that's because the hook has got inside of you. As soon as the idea of temptation comes into your mind, run. When David went on that rooftop and saw Bathsheba, he did not do this. He stood up. He saw a beautiful naked woman. And he didn't then go, my goodness, I need to just not look at that right now because that's sinful. I'm going to just quickly look at this way instead. He thought, oh, fancy bit of that and he allowed his eyes to lust at this woman there's another guy in the bible a guy called joseph in genesis he got this right he was at work in his house he was a servant for the master just looking after the house and when the master was away the wife came over to joseph was like hey joseph i've noticed you around and you're quite a man i think you and i could have something going on and he ran away he ran Why? Because he knew that having sex with this other lady who was married was sinful. He ran. Thumbs up. David, he didn't. And look at the bomb that went off. Very tragic. Let me say to you, what is it that tempts you the most? What is it that you feel like, this is my biggest sin? This is the one area that I sin most in. Now think, what does it mean for you to run away from that? You think, oh, I'll be okay this time, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. And before you know it, even just, you flirt with the idea of it, you think about it, you didn't run, before you know it, you're hooked, you're into some kind of sin. Maybe it's just some friends pushing you to do something you shouldn't do. Hey, try a cigarette. You think Now I know, actually, my mum and dad wouldn't want me to do this, this is not obeying my parents, this isn't the right thing to do. It's not just, oh, I might do it. No, just get out. Get out. You don't have to just physically run, because that could be just really weird sometimes. <laughs> hey, do you want a cigarette? <laughs> there are ways of doing it. You can just, now I'm all right, guys. I'm going to head home. Thanks, though. See you tomorrow. Oh, they might think I'm uncool. Do you know what's uncool with? Sin. You getting caught up in sin, that's uncool. A bomb going off affecting your life, that's uncool. You can deal with it for a moment. Maybe it's disobeying your parents. That's a big temptation. I just don't want to obey. Hey, we've talked about this. Kill this lion, this bear. Run away from that temptation. Why don't you be exemplary at obeying your parents? It's a way of killing this sin. Obey straight away. Maybe it is just like lust, pornography. That's what David fell with. He saw something beautiful that he shouldn't have, and that's for you as a sin. We've already talked about it a bit today. As soon as you feel tempted, just as soon as that thought comes in your head, shut the laptop. Just go outside, play football, do something, ring a friend. Don't hang around and think, oh, I'll be okay. You won't. Run. So, there are two things little tips, really, we've learned from David about how to avoid sin. Guard your heart, guard it. Love God. Don't let anything else get in the way of that. Love Him above all. Clear out the junk in your heart. Say, God, I want to keep loving you. I have to do that. Daily. Daily. There are so many things, even here at New Day, that can distract you. You try being on a big stage in front of thousands of people, and lots of people just knowing your name, oh, Simon, we love you, that can creep into your heart. Oh, yeah, you're kind of a big deal around here. I think, no, that's not right, that's sin. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. I have to daily, God, this is about you, get before him, love him. I don't want any of that, I want you. Daily. Come to the place of just pushing aside distractions, love God, and if you're tempted, just hang around. No, run. Say so run. Then quickly, in the little bit of time we got left, I want to end with this. What happens when you do sin? I think we're all going to be naive. If we're going to say, "From now until on, on New Day next year, none of us are going to sin." Actually, there might be times when some of us do. What happens when you do sin? Well, other than this bomb that goes off and distracts you and just creates a mess, one of the things that happens is it gets in the way of your relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever fallen out with one of your friends? Hands up. Yeah, that's probably most of us. Some of you even right now might have fallen out with one of your friends. To be honest, if we're honest, it's not very nice, is it? You're really good friends, you you know, you love each other, you hang out, whatever, suddenly something happens and it's like, oh, you've fallen out and you're angry or they're angry and it's not nice and your relationship's not the same and you go in the same room and there's tension. You start talking to other people, with them it's difficult. Do you guys know what I mean? Give me a nod if you know what I mean. And you feel like, oh, something's not quite right or you can't quite look them in the eye. It's just awkward, it's difficult. It's not a nice thing. Well, do you know what? When we sin before God, we get those same emotions and same feelings, don't we? Think, I love God. I love you so much. And before you know it, a few days later, you've blown it. You've done something wrong. And you feel like, oh, no, God's angry with me. I've messed up. Things aren't quite right. There's a sort of like unspoken tension. Even in a big meeting like this, you're worshipping together. The people around you are really going for it. But you're like, oh, you don't know what I did yesterday. I can't quite come and be myself before God. It's not quite right between us at the moment. Can you relate to that? Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you feel like, oh, God doesn't probably love me and things aren't quite right. What's the answer to that? Let me tell you this God has beautifully and completely dealt with that whole deal at the cross. Let me explain. At the cross of Christ, Jesus has dealt with this. I want us to read out this verse together. It's the last verse we're going to read. 1 John 1 verse 9 says this. If you... Let's try that again. If you... Your sins to God, he is faithful and just to... Us, our sins, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's do it again. If you... Your sins to God, comma he is faithful and just to... Us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does this mean? The two words, confess and forgive. Say confess. confess. Forgive. forgive. What's confession? Confession is this. It's saying what you've done. It's not just like, oh, I've done something wrong. No, no, confess it. It's literally saying out loud with your mouth, God, I confess I've done this. I lied to my mom and dad. It's not just like, oh, God, I've done something wrong. No, be specific. God, I lied to my parents. I lied. Oh, God, I did this. Confess it. It's not like God doesn't know. It's not like God's like, oh, you did what? I had no idea. No, God's not like that. He was there all along. It's actually more for your sake, just to get it out. Don't hold back. Don't hide it in a cupboard. Get it out. Confess it. But what's the promise? Can we have it back on the screen? Is that all right? All right. The promise is if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to f- forgive. Listen to this. If we confess there's a promise he's faithful and just to forgive. Now think about it. When someone wrongs you, someone does something wrong against you and you get a bit angry, what do you feel? You feel like they owe you something. He kicked he stole my sweets. Oh, he owes me something. He owes me an apology he owes me a sorry. at least he owes me some more sweets. You know that feeling, someone owes you something? Well, actually, you think it's the same with God. We sin against God. We owe him something. We owe him a debt. But do you know what? At the cross of Christ, Jesus paid all of your debt. He's paid for all of it. And so when you come to God and say, God, I've done this, your natural thought is, right, I need to pay myself back now. I need to pay for my sins. I need to really prove that I've—I'm I'm sorry. You know, I'm going to read the Bible double tomorrow. I'm really going to be a good Christian. What's going on there? You're trying to pay for your sins. Stop it! Christ has done it. Forgiveness is free. You come to God and you say, "God, I've—I've sinned. I've sinned. You confess." You know what? Forgiveness is free. He says to you, You owe me nothing. Christ has paid for it all. You owe me nothing. Uh, Good news, hey? Uh, I learned to drive a few years back. um, In Brighton, there are lots of speed cameras. So you know when you get to a speed camera, just make sure you're doing okay. Because if you don't, if you go over the speed limit and the, and the camera catches you, you get a thing in the post that says, you now owe a fine. You have to pay £30. Imagine this. Imagine you're going 40 miles an hour in a 30 zone. Flash, flash. Two weeks later, the camera, the thing comes in the post. Simon Braiding, you've been going 40 miles an hour in a 30 zone. You owe a fine of £50. Please go here to pay it. Oh, great. Go there to pay it. Hi, I've come to pay this bill. I've speeded and I shouldn't have done. I was doing 14 or 30. Okay, let me just look at that. Da-da-da-da-da. Simon Braiding. Oh, it says it's already been paid. What? It says it's already been paid. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it says it's paid. It's like, oh, okay. That's bizarre. Should go away. Imagine if a week later, I do the exact same thing again. I'm driving 40 miles an hour in a 30. <laughs> flash, flash. Oh, no. Two weeks later, something in the post. Simon braining. you've gone 40 miles an hour in a 30 zone. And you owe 50 pounds. And I go here to pay for it. I go there to pay for it. Oh, sorry, <laughs> me again. Um, I've done it again. I sped, I shouldn't have done. Um, I'm here to pay the bill. Okay, let me just see the reference. Da-da-da-da. Simon Braiding. Um, oh, that's weird. It says it's already paid. You don't have to pay anything. Sorry, th- I, I know this happened last week. I thought it was a mistake. I'm here again. I've done the exact same thing. Um, I'm pretty sure I did do it. I know I did. I saw the flash. Um, are you sure? Yes. It says it's already been paid for. Yeah, but I've got something in the post here that says... You went 40 in a 30 zone and I owe money. Yeah, but on our account here, it says it's paid. In fact, it says, Simon Brading, all fines paid in full. That is a picture of what Christ has done for all of your sins forever. The enemy can come at you with all kinds of scriptures, you disobeyed this one, you disobeyed this one, you know what, you're right, I actually did, but Jesus has paid for all of them. Hallelujah. So when you sin, and we are going to do it sometimes, confess, but then come with confidence that Jesus has paid for them, and the word from the Father is, hey, you owe me nothing. I just want to love you, I want you to love me. You see, God's all about your heart. It all comes back to this. God wants people whose hearts are after his. He's not after you trying to work hard, lots of sacrifices. He's not after you being like, God, I'm going to prove that I really love you. I'm going to pay for my sins. He doesn't want any of that. He wants your heart and he wants you to love him. And that brings me to point number three, just before we end. Confess your sins. Forgiveness. Christ has paid for it all. And the last thing is this. Worship. Worship. Let's look at these. Number one, repent, confess quickly. Don't wait around, think, oh, I need to sort of wait three or four days, then I can confess. No, no, no. What are you waiting for? Don't. Jesus has paid for it. Come quickly. Forgiveness, Jesus has paid for it all. And number three, worship. God's after your heart, friends. He's not after you to sort of like some kind of sacrifices. If you sin, if you find yourself in a mess, you can come to the cross of Christ and receive grace. And in that place, what God wants is you to worship Him and love Him. You know, if you've ever had a fight with your mum and dad or your friends, and it's been awkward, it's been hard, and you maybe said some things you shouldn't, and maybe they were like it was difficult and it's tension. That beautiful feeling of just making up, when your mum and dad just give you that hug, just say it's all all alright. There's nothing more special in that moment. You might even have a cry. It's like, oh, I've been such a wally, I've been such an idiot, thank you so much that you love me, even for all of that. There's nothing nicer than just that hug from your parents, or even from a mate, just that says, it's okay, it's okay. When we come to God in worship, when we love him and we receive his love, that's like him hugging us by his spirit. I want to say this, if you find yourself messing up and sinning, get to God quickly in worship. One more verse, actually. That I'd love us to quickly read together. I and mean, it's the last verse. I'm pretty sure it's on the PowerPoint. My bad, it isn't? Um, oh, it's not one John, one verse nine. That's my bad. Sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. It's the right verse. i will just put the wrong reference at the top. It's something like two Samuel. This is right at the end of the story. David completely fudged it with Bathsheba. It's bad. It was tragic. Um, but what happens? He repented. He was sorry. God came to him and said, I know what you've been doing. And he sort of, oh my word, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But it says this. Then. Let's try again. Then. He got up from the ground. And after he had washed, he put on lotions, he changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord. And this is like a few days just after the whole thing happened. If you riot of committing adultery, of murder... He got to God and he worshipped. He worshipped him. There is so much in the heart of God to love him for, to worship him for. Even just what I said about forgiveness. Let your mind feast on that as you come to God and thank him. Thank God it's not down to you to pay for your sins. Amen? Thank God that Jesus paid for it all. Thank God that he's dealt with all of that, that you can love him and you can know him. So at the end of these four days... We've been learning about David, who was the greatest king in the Bible next to Jesus. He had a heart after God and loved God. And he did great things. And even though he completely messed up, and he did, he fudged it, he came back to God. And he worshipped him and God loved him. Do you know why? God's after our hearts. He's not the king of just judgment or the king of rules. He's the king of what? Our God is the king of hearts. He wants your heart. He's not that king. He's the king of hearts. He wants your heart. So there's one thing I want to leave with you as I walk off this stage today. Is I want you to pursue God and learn what it is to love him. To love him. Let him be the first in your heart. To give him your heart. To be quick to come back to him. And whatever you do, guard that special heart of worship. Come back to the heart of worship. It always, always comes back to him. Whatever road you go down, if you have seen, if you've done something wrong, it always leads back to him. Come back to the heart of worship day after day after day. Don't go to bed at night with sin in your heart. Come to God every day and watch what God will do in your life as you kill lions and bears, as you remain faithful, as you're obedient to your parents, as you stand in the victory that Jesus has won at the cross, as you receive forgiveness day after day, there's no limit to what he can do. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to worship God together.